0: So, I was preparing this sermon and I realized that it was also July 4th. The shirt has nothing to do with it being July 4th, it was just the one that was picked. So, uh, just I was maybe incepted by many of you who seem to be festively dressed today. But, so I was thinking about this, like, oh my gosh, it's July 4th. And we're talking about the death of the firstborn of Egypt, which isn't the most exciting. July 4th sermon that you might hear, but the freedom of the nation, that's exciting. So I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe the theme is appropriate, but I thought for a second, I went, well, you know, I, gotta, I guess I need a July 4th intro. So I thought, well, what's my favorite July 4th movie? Or one of them. Now, you, might, you probably have your own, you're like Will Smith and in Independence Day, that's not my um sandlot of course is a sandlot's a good one yeah sandlot's on disney plus now for anybody who wants to see it um here's one though that i just find uh, stupidly funny and and worth it uh, uh national treasure yeah i mean who doesn't like mysteries with Nicolas cage and so if you're unfamiliar with the movie let me just summarize it like this Uh, There is a secret treasure, and you need to steal the Declaration of Independence to find it. And then craziness ensues. So that's the movie. I'm sorry for any spoilers that you just experienced right there. Uh, But that's the movie, and there's this line in it that shows up actually a couple of times as Ben, who is Nicolas Cage's character is doing all the things that he's doing, of course, and there's the detective that's tra- trying, of course, in any movie, that's like a heist movie, like there's always the good guys trying to find the bad guys, or maybe in this case, the good guys trying to find the good guys, you're trying to stay away from the bad guys, you're never really sure, right? And so like, you know, like you're always one step ahead, the, the bad guys or the thieves are always one step ahead, but you become endeared to this detective, and he has this line that's repeated a couple of times about the crime that has been committed, right? And he says this, someone's got to go to prison you don't just steal the declaration of independence and then like no one no one gets punished i know this sounds funny like it for all the people who will be watching this you know in the time capsule of youtube in 2025 or whatever it is should the lord terry you're going to be going what kind of dumb movie did they watch in the early 2000s well they're a dumber that helps but the line did stick with me the line sticks with me even today even as i think about today's passage someone's got to go to prison someone's got to pay like there there is no crime for which there is not some punishment right like like we don't we don't have this this world that exists where one person can take something and someone's not affected by it someone's always affected by it you just aren't, aren't necessarily sure where that might be happening but someone always pays and that's one of the themes that you follow through this movie. Someone's, someone's got to pay. Someone's got to go to prison. You can't just get out, get off. It is not okay. And as I was preparing uh, this passage, that line kept coming into my head. Someone's got to pay. Someone's got to pay. In all of us, even among the kids in the room... There is this desire for things to be made right. There's this desire for me to you gotta fix it. I was a part of a kickball game. I was I was no a dodgeball game on Friday, an intense dodgeball game. And one of the kids, because I kind of make the rules as we go, one of the kids was like, I don't like that you are making all these rules. I don't think it's fair that you're making the rules, right? There's this just sense of justice that this child is feeling about the rules and, and who these rules appropriately or inappropriately prefer, which is, of course, the birthday boy. right? The birthday boy, well, he looks safe to me. I don't know. I don't think you hit him. I think you're out and he's safe. So I get it. I get it. But we all cry out for some type of like, that's not fair. I can't believe they did this. How did you let that happen? All of that happens in all of us. This cry for things to be made right. Who's going to pay? How will it be fixed? We always want to know. Somebody's got to go to prison. Now, as we think about today's passage, which is a bit of a longer passage for us, Exodus 12, 29 through 13, 16. It's got a lot of ground to cover. But what you will see throughout the passage is payment. Is payment. Someone's got to pay. Someone's got to pay. Someone's got to pay. And you will find that as we get into the actual event of the 10th plague, that people are paying, and that now there's going to be a kind of, of way to remember what happened that God institutes. You heard that last week, and it's going to be brought back this week. And then you, you go out into salvation history, and you find that this is, is prefiguring something that the Lord is doing for us. And so we're hitting a few weeks of our Exodus series where we're finding the events that are going on kind of reverberates into how future believers are interacting with what happened even here. So the crossing of the Red Sea, which we're about to get to, like that's going to be something that they look back to, and the grumbling that comes in a few weeks, and the 10th plague, and the exodus, the leaving of the land. All of these, over the next few weeks, are going to have specific tie-ins to things that even biblical authors are going to talk about later. That doesn't happen in every passage of Scripture, but we're hitting a, a weighty and significant portion of the book of Exodus where you can draw lines where, be it the Apostle Paul after his conversion is recognizing something, or John the Baptist is recognizing something, or the author of the Hebrews is saying something, or the psalmist is tying back. All of these next few weeks, we're seeing connections from what's happening here. And how the identity of the nation of Israel was reflecting and interacting with what happened as we read it. So we're going to see the entire passage. And then we're going to see the ways that redemption of the Hebrews was bought. Both, what do the Egyptians pay? What do the Hebrews, the Israelites pay? And what do future generations pay? All as a part of what goes on right here and when that's finished we'll look at that one last price pay that you saw Lindsay refer to in the video so again our passage is a bit longer exodus chapter 12 starting in verse 29 i'm going to read the thing in its entirety at midnight the lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of egypt from the firstborn of pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon to the firstborn of the livestock pharaoh rose up in the night He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were Urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have whatever they asked. Thus they plundered. The Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, About 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough and they had, that they brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now that verse right there is going to show up in a few weeks when they are really frustrated that they have no provisions, and they start to grumble. So we're seeing why they're going to be bugged here in a second, because they're basically bringing gold, jewelry, and bowls, but you can't cook anything with that. Verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years At the end of 430 years, on the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat it. After you have circumcised him, no foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover, let his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There, you, there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and a beast, all of it is mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. They're beginning their new year now. That I said, the whole year revolves around when they were freed. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hibbites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me, when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute as its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first. Opened, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you do not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Donkey slaughtering. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time, uh, And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt... ...from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of the man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hands or, or, or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." Now, multiple things are happening here. Remember, we're talking about the price paid. But recognize first one of these principles of just Bible study is to see how much time is given to different parts of a passage. And if you note here, how much time is given to the actual event of the 10th plague? A handful of verses. How much time is given to the instruction on how to remember The act of the 10th plague. The rest of it. Both in the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the consecration of the firstborn. And this is important for us just from the beginning, is that we need to recognize that we sometimes get caught up in a moment, but God's concern is what that moment does for the future, And so he's looking at, look at how this teaches, and when people ask, you instruct about how we're remembering what God did here. And so, though we get a few verses on the event itself, the rest of it is on how to remember the event itself. Now, now, just where are we in time? Many would estimate that what's going on here is around 1446 B.C., and so we're, we're, we're around there, 1446, and so we've had, to this point, a couple of Pharaohs. Remember, there was the Pharaoh when Moses was born who tried to kill him, and then that Pharaoh died, and now we had another Pharaoh in, Moses was coming back from the land of Midian. Remember, he's 80 years old, he's 80 years old now, so we've, we've spanned 80 years, really in the first couple of chapters But now here we are in chapters 12 and 13. Moses is 80. Over the course of weeks or months, these nine plagues had continued to demonstrate God's power over the gods of Egypt and over everything in this world so that he might be seen as sovereign and powerful and over anything. He had warned that if Pharaoh does not turn, it will cost him his firstborn. And yet Pharaoh stubbornly refuses, and God says as much. For this purpose, I raised you up to show my power. And so we get to this moment. All of this so that God could free his people powerfully, the strong hands. So that no one could say, I did it. But so that it could only be the Lord's doing. Their redemption had cost associated with it. And the first place I want to go, before we even look at what the Hebrews do, is look at how the Egyptians paid Because they paid with their unbelief. And their unbelief resulted in this plague. Now think about where we have been to this time with the Egyptians. They've already paid a pretty high price for not letting the Hebrews go. Their water source was corrupted. Their bodies had boils. Their cattle died. Their crops were destroyed Their gods were laughed at. They're left with nothing. And yet still, still, as the nation, where are they? They're in Goshen. As they're preparing, and they're slaughtering, and they're painting on the doorposts. What do the Egyptians do? Yawn. Yawn. This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to change anything. And yet they paid the price in judgment with the death of their firstborn. What are they paying for, though? Well, they're paying for their continued opposition to God's people and God's proclamation. It isn't just just Pharaoh who's not listening. There are some times when people are like, well, maybe this is true. Let's just go ahead and get our animals inside so they don't get hailed on. Like that happens. We talked about fearing the word of the Lord versus the Lord himself. Well, just in case, because it's not going to be that big of a deal if I move my animals inside. So I can do that. I don't want them to die. But they were warned. They were warned. Exodus 4, 22 and 23. This is long before we even get to our plagues. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel, in my, uh, is my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. They don't listen. And the price was steep. That's what we see in verses 29 and 30. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Just to go, this was an exhaustive judgment on the land. It was not selective. Pharaoh couldn't hide, those in prison couldn't hide. And I just have even this thought right now, because don't so many of us try to live lives of protection? I need to get into a better neighborhood so that I can be in better schools, so I can have better this, so my kids can have better friends. But the judgment of God doesn't care where you live. It doesn't care where you live, and it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't care how much you make. It's unconcerned with your economic status. You either trust in the word of the Lord or you don't. The work that he has done, you trust in what God has said and what his son has done for us. You either trust that or you don't. You can't hide yourself or shield yourself or protect yourself from God. And so we see in verse 29 this exhaustive work that the Lord has done. Struck down all of them. Pharaoh couldn't hide The prisoner couldn't hide. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. But let's think about this prior to Exodus. Even prior to Genesis 12, where Abraham is called... The price of unbelief has been your life. That's never not been the case. Genesis 2:15, 16, 17. The Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. disbelief results in death. You don't believe what God has said. You don't believe what he's said about himself, about you and your situation and your sin and your need. And so from the beginning, it doesn't take long, God gives a command in Genesis chapter 2 in Genesis chapter 3. What's happening? Adam, Eve, serpent, they're going, oh, I don't know. I don't know what he, I mean, he kind of said it, but I'm not sure. He... We can't even touch it. And they go, well, did God really say, right? That's the serpent's craftiness. Did God really say that? So we have the theme in Scripture that is this. If you rebel, you die. If you rebel, you die. The only issue is really when that death comes. That's why in a couple of weeks when we read about the hardening of their hearts at Meribah or at Mara when they don't believe what God has done, we hear this phrase cried out, the psalmist says it, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't turn from him. Don't reject him. Because life is here for you so long as you can hear this. If your heart is beating, you can turn. You can trust. You can say, I've lived for myself, but I have to live for the Lord. So the consequence that the Egyptians paid was the consequence, ultimately, that everybody pays for their disbelief, their life. You pay with your life for not surrendering to God. And as Moses and Aaron are summoned, they say, get out. And we spoke about this a few weeks ago because Pharaoh and Moses kind of have this moment where like, you're not going to see me anymore. And so they have this moment. So they go, well, are you summoned? Are you actually brought? Is he going to sit and wait for you to get from where you are, likely in Goshen, to where I am so I can tell you to go back to Goshen and get out of here? I'm not sure that's what happened. I think what happens is Pharaoh sends people to Moses and Aaron and goes, tell them they have to go. Not wasting any time. Get them out. And yet, as they leave, they turn to the Egyptians that they are near and they say, Give me your gold and your silver. The Egyptians essentially say, Whatever it takes to get you out of here. You got it. Take it. I don't need it. You can have it. But interesting, now think about this, they're leaving in haste, they're leaving quickly, they can't get out fast enough, they don't bring all their stuff with them. I mean, you can't go on a trip for a night and not take four hours to pack. And so you're going to leave forever? And you have to go now? And you don't have a trunk? And you have to bring all your animals? So i got a bowl on my shoulder, i got a kid on my back. And I have like, you know, forks and spoons. I don't know what else you have. We're going. We're out. No time to prepare. And yet we see this passage in Exodus 12, 36, which says they plundered the Egyptians because they brought these possessions with them. However, I want you to go back with me to Genesis chapter 15. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 15, the Lord is speaking to Abraham. This is not like 2100 B.C., so we've got some time here, okay? We're centuries before what's happening here. This is what the Lord says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with what? Great possessions. Huh. Huh. So even leaving quickly, they leave in the way God spoke to Abraham. They will be sojourners, but I will bring them out, and they will come out with great possessions. The price they paid The Egyptians paid was steep. Imagine now with the nation gone. Do they have crops? Think about the hail damage. No crops, cattle decimated, children gone. They're left to pick up the pieces. Imagine the morning after the Passover and you're just going what do we do with all these bodies Wh- what do we do with all this death I haven't even recovered from the last disaster I haven't even, I haven't even recovered from that and now I have to plan a funeral for my son my nephew, my grandson. Now I have to plan these? I mean, let's not forget. I think sometimes we read these as if they really are just stories made up. They're not. There's an aftermath here. There's an aftermath here that they have to live with. It's a steep price to pay. And what did Israel do? The Hebrews? What do they do in this moment, where the Passover is going to happen? Theirs is different. They don't pay with their firstborn because they're passed over. But their payment, and this is how salvation works their payment is their faith in what God has said. Now, that was followed by action. We're going to go back to last week's passage. Let me read it to you. Listen to how God instructs the nation to honor the Passover. Exodus 12, 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on with fire... for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn of the land both man and beast and all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments I am the Lord the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when I see the blood I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt so the nation still has to go the Lord has asked us to do something Do we believe it'll make a difference? Will it matter? Now, this is something we have to think about. Because they believed what the Lord had said, because they've seen how the Lord had demonstrated himself in his power and his might, So he's revealed his character to the nation, and now he's giving them instructions because he has demonstrated that and he has given his command. Their faith in him led to their obedience in the act. So they trust what God has said, and they do what God has asked, and they're passed over. Trust what God has said, do what God has passed, and they pass over, and they are passed over. Because you have to think about this. Any house that didn't have the blood was not passed over. The Lord says, "When I see the blood, I will pass over." How could the blood on the doorposts? Be enough. I mean, think about it. You kill a lamb, put its blood in three spots on your door, and you're good. Just stay in the house; you'll be fine. What if you have a back door? What about a window? Can you get in the window? Like those are the things I'm starting to think. How is that enough? How is that enough to, 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 to hide and be shielded from all the death that is about to come on the land? It's enough because the Lord said it was enough. In the same way, our faith in Christ is enough to save us. Because God said, I'll save you. Our trust in him, our turning from our sins to him, recognizing him for who he is, that turn is enough because it's what God had asked. For all who did believe, he gave the right to become children of God. So interesting today, all who see the blood are still passed over, or all who recognize the blood. The Lord sees his son still passed over. So, in the moment, those who are there in the land who have been told to sacrifice. They have one way in which they're doing that. They sacrifice the lamb, they're trusting what God has spoken, they're recognizing who he is, they are passed over, but then remember all this instruction on what is to come, because the future generations are also, in a sense, recognizing the price that was paid. They are supposed to annually celebrate the Passover. Annually celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which often merges together, the one <laughs> combined feast. But you're to recognize the Passover and you are to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but not only that, you are to consecrate the firstborn. So God gives instructions not just on the Passover itself, but how you will then remember it, how you will remember what God has done, how you remember God's priority of the firstborn, how you remember the sacrifice that was made and the deliverance that was brought. We see this in a, in a few places. And the reason that we see like in 12, 30, 43 through 49, this is who can participate. Even the sojourner in the land who wants to participate has to be circumcised, right? You, have to, you can participate, but you have to become a part of this family, The males are circumcised. But listen to the discussion about why they do it. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And that shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. So this is no one and done moment. This is a moment that is constantly remembered by the Israelites in perpetuity for them. Remember it, remember it, remember how God saved, remember that he brought you out, remember the power with which he did it. And the language is really holistic. It's not, well, back in the day, there was a bad nation and there was, there was us, your grandpa, great grandpa. It's just a statement of, you know, this is how the Lord saved us. Remembering that even though the person in the future who might not have actually lived in the Passover moment is still tying their deliverance to that moment, and even how they speak of it, God saved us. God saved our people. God delivered us. So they have this memorial, and they're to remember. Year after year after year, this deliverance. And then there's also the consecration of the firstborn. That gets thrown in there. And you're like, why are you throwing that in there? All this discussion of the Passover and the deliverance and and all of that's happening. And it's like, oh yes, and consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever's first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, it's mine. And so now there's this continual... Going back to, you know, essentially the generational price paid, this continual remembrance through the Passover and through this consecration, that God is always saying, don't forget what's happened. Don't forget what I've done. Don't forget how I redeemed. Don't forget how I saved. Don't forget how I brought you out. And it's interesting because as you get into the book of Numbers, there's an adjustment in how this happens. In Numbers 3, 12 and 13... The Lord actually says the Levites are now the firstborn. The Levites don't get an inheritance. The Levites Levites are now mine. And so the firstborn males, now I have the Levites as my people. And they will serve throughout the land and they will help us to worship. And the animals, as you go to Numbers 18, you'll find these animals are slaughtered. So year after year after year after year there are continual reminders of the price paid. Now, why do these two things tie together, the Passover and the consecration of the firstborn? Most of us are probably not farmers, and if we are, we're probably not you know, ranch hands, but if you are, more power to you. Probably not living in spring then. But it's because like, the way that they would practice animal husbandry would usually lead to Animals being born at about the time of the Passover. (laughs) And so there's this connection. That's why you're getting the instruction about what to do with animals and what to do with the Passover at the same time. It's not just this random occurrence. It's like, no, that our cycle of when animals are birthed and when we're remembering the work of God for us, that these are happening about the same time. And so now do you see why God might tie these together and say all the firstborn that opens the womb, they're all mine. On the side of humans, the males, the Levites replace that. But the recognition and the sacrifice of the firstborn animal, we then see that that continues. You see this in verse 13, 14, 15. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. This is because donkeys are not clean animals. But they're good beasts of burden. They're good for work. So the point is, if you want that donkey to work, something's got to die. If you don't want something to die in its place, then it has to die. So God is working. It's interesting, isn't it, how God works substitution into even the rhythms of how his people are to remember what he's done. God works substitution even in that. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when the time comes and your son asks, what does this mean? Here it is again. Dad going out and killing animals. What does this mean? You shall say, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. Firstborn man, the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord. All the males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand and the frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out. So you see, even in that, the consecration of the firstborn, that how the nation was to operate at light. Now I say was to, because very often they didn't. If you're in our reading plan right now, where are we but in the divided kingdom? We're reading every day about good kings and bad kings and wars and and disbelief and disobedience and God's judgment and God's punishment and God's blessing. We're reading all that right now. The way God had structured them to live their life was all around the way that God had saved them and how God provides for them. Their calendar reset at the Passover. When you read from here on out, at the first month, or the second month, or the third month, it's all tied back to what God did here. So even their calendar tied around the work of God for them. Now, if you go back just to what I just read, verse 16, it shall be a mark on your hand. We're frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's not forget that point. Because really, it's always God who is the one working, and God who is the one saving. The Lord brought us out. The Lord brought us out. The Lord brought us out. Now, this is where it gets cool. Cool to me, hopefully cool to you. I want you to fast forward chronologically for a moment from this time, say 1446. But let's go now to Christ in this world. What was the ultimate price paid for God to redeem his people? The Son who was the Lamb. The Son who was the Lamb the only son, the begotten son, who was also for us the Passover lamb. Everything that's happening at this moment in Exodus 12 and Exodus 13, we have the ability to look back and see what God has done and say, even then you were getting ready for that. Even then you were getting ready for Jesus to come into this world, and you could have a statement like this, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. that the death of the Son brought life to us. Jesus is the Son given by the Father. Not only that, but Jesus is the Passover Lamb. John the Baptist says as much, John 1.29, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Takes away the sins. Not just on the doorposts, but forever. Constantly. That in Christ, your sins can be removed. The Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 14 shows us that the sacrifice Christ paid for our sins happened when? During the Passover. It's like, just in case... You're super dense, like I am. Let's give you every single connection we possibly can. Jesus is called the Lamb of God, both by, the, by John the Baptist, by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5-7. Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Like, we go, well, maybe John was just calling him the Lamb of God, but it wasn't the Passover lamb. I'm like, okay, fine. You can say that he was. How about what Paul said? I mean, he calls him our Passover lamb. Well, maybe it was a different Passover lamb. Nope. Wasn't. And so Christ, the Passover lamb, who was sacrificed for our sins at Passover, who then, when he is doing the remembrance of God saving his people out of the Exodus with his Passover meal with his disciples, Takes the elements and redefines them. And he says, This bread is my body, and this cup is my blood. My body was broken for you, and my blood was shed for you. And so we can read something like this, Exodus 12 and 13, and go, That was crazy. You know what's crazier? Is that that was all prefiguring something that God was working out centuries later. That those who followed him said, look, he's the lamb of God. He's the Passover lamb. When Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, broken for you, shed for you. So remember, not the exodus, remember me. When you take it, remember me. While sin and rebellion will always bring punishment, the Lord provides the way out. The Son, who is the Lamb. Where the Hebrews understood in part, we understand more completely that Christ, the Son, our Passover Lamb, died for us and rose again, that we might be truly, and totally forgiven in a world where we understand inherently we understand someone has to pay someone's got to go to prison someone's got to make this right we must realize that God is the one who paid the ultimate price for our redemption we can't pay it back We won't pay it back. Any attempt to pay it back is just law. Trying to create some way for God to be happy with you outside of the way that he has provided, which is his son. His son is the way. So let's trust him. Let's trust him for our salvation for our freedom and let's praise him for the life that we have if you have believed in the Lord Jesus and let's be glad and sing joyfully the salvation that we share